kind of ended last week um, with the scripture in John chapter 14, verse 12. I think it's slide 18, whoever's doing the slides. And I want to just read that as we continue on then. It said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And I just read that scripture again to remind us there seems to be a role that the Lord wants us to play. You know, he really doesn't need us to do anything for him to do anything, right? He could just do it all and we just are observers. But there is a lot for us to learn and to be, to be uh, taught, even in terms of just intimacy, through prayer. And also having an active part in doing and advancing the kingdom. If you ask, I will do. And then I, I closed last week with the scripture in Galatians 2.20. And I talked about, you know, can you imagine if, if, if when we got saved, the moment of our salvation, wouldn't it be great if all of the old tendencies, all the old ways of thinking, all the old bad habits were just miraculously gone, just gone, never to be bothering us again? Well, I'd be really sweet, but it doesn't work that way very well. But it's not impossible to live as if they all are gone. But that's not very easy either. And this scripture in, in Galatians Chapter 2, verse 20, tells us how that could be possible. It says this, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Obviously, none of us have been nailed to a cross alongside Jesus. What it's telling us is when he was crucified, it says if we were crucified. The old things pass away. All things are new. We are, are, the potential for to be a new creation in Christ is made possible. And it says it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. We all understand that the Holy Spirit lives in us at the moment of salvation. Jesus' Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, lives in me. And it's no longer I that live, but him that lives in me. And it's, it's one of those things that for us to grab a hold of that reality that the Spirit of God, holiness, righteousness, love, joy, peace, it's in there. And my spirit is in union with that spirit, his spirit, the Holy Spirit. And that if my flesh, if I can crucify my flesh, if I can take every thought captive and allow my spirit to just respond in obedience to the Holy Spirit, then it truly is no longer me living, but Christ living in me. And it's possible. It's possible. But oh, is it hard. And it's a process that we, we should be getting better and better and better at. And I believe one of the keys for us to get better and better and better at that is prayer. We get used to communing with the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. We get used to that intimacy with him. And as we commune with him, we learn, I hope we learn, like Simon learned naturally. He didn't even have to think about it. He didn't have to think about it. He heard the voice of God. And as we quiet ourselves, instead of talking all the time, we can hear, learn to hear the voice of God. And as we hear his voice, 
The grace is there to be obedient. The instant we make the choice, it's there. So it can be no longer I, but Christ living in me. And that's the goal. And now don't allow the Holy Spirit to bring, or it's not the Holy Spirit. Don't let the enemy bring condemnation, guilt, or shame when you say, geez, I'm not anywhere close. Let's just forget about that. Realize we've been forgiven and go forward and press in to what God has for us. Our faith as a believer, one of the ways that it's expressed, should be expressed, is in our time of prayer. Our faith. When we talk about an expression of faith, we always think, or most of the time we think, of believing for something that we think might be impossible except for God. That is faith, but so is prayer. Think about prayer in the natural. Think about prayer trying to explain this to an atheist or someone who's never heard about God. What are you going to do now? I'm going to go pray. What's prayer? Well, I'm going to go talk with God. God? Where is he? Well, you can't see him. So you're talking to an imaginary friend? Well, yeah, sort of, but he's not imaginary, but he is a friend. It makes no sense to our natural mind, to to an unbeliever. But for us, it should be like breathing. It should be like breathing. How many of you are thinking about the next breath you're going to take? What's wrong with us? We need oxygen to live. It's an important part of life. And that's the way prayer should get according to the biblical mandate and pattern that we see. It should be as natural for us as taking in oxygen through our breathing. Do we want to spend that time with the Lord? Do we want to commune with him in that way? One of the things about prayer that sometimes throws us off track is, as I said, I think I said this a couple of weeks ago, there's so many times when I think, I got this God. Okay, so how many of you can confess that you think that way? Just one. You and me, Alan. (laughs) I've got this God. I'll call you when I need help. You know, it's so easy to think that way. We, we resort to our own way of thinking, our own gifts, our own talents, our own experiences. You know, there's a, there's a neat little story that we probably all can remember from the Bible. It's, it's Jesus, and he's along in, in, in Luke, I believe it talks about his Lake Gennaraset. It's really the Sea of Galilee, same thing. And he's talking there, and, and it says he sees a couple boats, and the crowd's getting bigger and bigger, and he sees a couple boats, and he, he gets in one of the boats to speak, and they push him out a little ways. And he's speaking in this boat. And when he gets through speaking in this boat, and it just happened to belong to, to Peter and his brother Andrew, and then there was another boat there that belonged to James and John. And he says, after he gives his little speech, and crowds are responding, he says, you know, go out and fish. Now, if I'm Peter, at least the bad side of Peter, and Peter says, Master, We fished all night. The reason the boats were there is they were on shore mending their nets. They're tired. They're exhausted. It makes no sense. Jesus, you're a great teacher and all. I get that. That's really cool. And I've seen you do some miracles already here. This is pretty cool, but I'm the fisherman. You're the teacher preacher. 
There's no fish. Trust me on this. We're exhausted. Well, fortunately, Peter's not like that completely. He does say we fished all night, but he says what? At your bidding, we'll go do it. And they went out, and you know the rest of the story. He caught so many fish, it just about sank not only his boat, but also uh, James and John's boat. It filled them both full of fish. When we as Christians are in prayer, we hear the word of the Lord. Sometimes we revert to our old way of thinking. It's not about us. It's not about your experiences. It's not about your talents. It's not about your gifts. It's just about being obedient and available. When we live by faith as Christians, it simply should be, we're reminded continually, and I talked about this a lot last week, that we are totally dependent upon God. Yes, he's given us natural gifts, abilities. We have learned a lot through our experiences in life, and it's all by his grace. All by his grace. So to get this attitude of dependency in everything that we do, everything that we're asked by the Lord to do, we need to put that thing out there and say, you know what, my total confidence is in him. He can do whatever he wants to do. Whatever he calls me to do, he can do it. He will do it. We run into a problem with this, with our natural way of thinking and practical things all the time. Your finances. Geez, we need to earn this much money by the end of the month. Where am I going to get it? Last, last, last resort, well, I suppose I can go get a loan. Do we ever think like that? My marriage, our relationship is so bad. I don't know what I'm going to do to fix it. I think I'll try this. I'll even try flowers. I'm going to try something. Always resorting to our own abilities, our own strengths, instead of praying immediately and believing. You know, biblical Christianity, Christianity should never be us living by who or what we think we are. But it should be living, believing, and trusting in the word of God, the biblical principles. And not only believing in them, knowing that God is able. And beyond able, he is willing so our confidence is in him. I loved Jody's little story about the clothes with Simon. You know, oh, shoot, they're still in my bag. I guess that's it. God can't possibly do anything, right? Come on, we more than us would think like that than want to admit it. Like it was too late. Oh, you know, somebody once said God's timing is usually perfect. I don't know where that came from. But it goes against our natural way of thinking. Golly, just think, if, if Jody had just remembered earlier in the trip, she could have probably given to somebody they weren't supposed to go to. Well, that's not quite a black shirt. It's dark, though. Well, you know, we get involved, and we just mess things up. It's all about dependency upon God, depending on him. And to live this way, it's going to require what appears to the world to be sacrifice and foolishness. I am going to be dependent on God. I know shared a few weeks ago just the things that we do on a daily basis that we are capable of accomplishing, it seems, in our own strength. But what would happen if we start praying for all those things before we do them? How much better would it be? How much more would be accomplished? And more specifically, how much more would be accomplished for the kingdom's glory? 
for God's glory, not just ours. Okay, pattern for prayer. We've been talking on prayer for, what, three weeks now, and we haven't even got to the prayer yet. Amen. We're going to get there today, right now. In Luke chapter 11, verse 2 and 4, and you can also look at this in Matthew chapter 6, but I'm going to be focusing mostly on Luke, but we'll go back and forth a little bit. But notice in Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 2, and this is what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer, which is a bad a misnomer, actually. But it says, this is Jesus responding, remembering and reminding us our context. Jesus is responding to one of the disciples saying, Lord, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. So he says to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Notice, first of all, Jesus would never pray this prayer. Can you see why right away? This would not be his prayer. It's not really the Lord's prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. How many of you think Jesus has to say, forgive me my sins as I forgive others who sinned against me? He's never sinned. This, is a, this prayer is set before the disciples in response to their question, teach us how to pray. And here he says, when you pray. But if you would read in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it, sa- I th- it says it even more clearly. Pray in this way. Pray in this way. So he's not saying, memorize these words and say it every day three, four times. It's not what he's saying. Now, if you do that... And you think about what the words really mean and it has significance to you? Awesome. It's a great prayer. But that's not the point. Jesus is saying, pray in this way. When you pray, pray something like this. And he gives us this model. And there's at least two things, first of all, that this prayer was never, ever intended to be. And that is, number one, a ritual. A rote reciting of a prayer that means nothing to anybody saying it. It's not ever designed for that. As a matter of fact, if it was designed for that in the Scripture, if Jesus is saying, you know, disciples, this is the prayer that you're always supposed to pray, wouldn't it seem likely in all of the epistles, in other words, all of the letters that are written to all the churches, it would have been referred to or mentioned maybe once? But it wasn't. It's not. It's never repeated. All the instruction that Paul gave to all these different churches in the letters that Peter wrote and John wrote, nothing mentioned about this prayer. Let's all gather together in Corinthians. You Corinthians, you really messed things up. The service is a mess, but let's get it back on track. Everybody repeat after me, our Father. No, he didn't do that. Not that it's a bad prayer. It's a fabulous prayer. It's the model that prayer should be modeled after, but it was never meant for rote recitation, ever. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 7, it's really interesting. In verse 9 is when he says, hey, when you pray, pray this way. But look what he says just a couple of verses before that. He says, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they can be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. 
And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition, as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. And then he goes on right after that, just two or three verses later, and says, pray like this. So it was never intended to be some sort of rote repetition, some sort of, of formula or form of religion. But hear me clearly, it's a great prayer. When we pray this prayer, we think about it, mean what it says. Matter of fact, if you want to do a, if you're into the Greek word study like they're talking about in Bible class today, you just do a word study on the word ask. Ask. It means think clearly. Choose your words carefully. Concentrate, meditate on what you're about to say. When you pray, ask this way. The second thing it was never, ever designed to be it's a good luck charm, charm of some sort. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Our Father, our turn, heaven, help me, moving under this, got through that one. No, it's not designed to be a good luck charm. And it's never, ever, 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 ever been designed to be a form of penance or receiving forgiveness for sin. Boy, you've sinned. Okay, you owe me 48 our fathers. That's insane. And it's unbiblical. It's abusive scripture. Probably stepped on somebody's toes. Or at least your relative's toes. Never intended for that. Not one sign of that in the New Testament. Think about it. What is the key to forgiveness of sin? Repentance. I guess if you grab that one little part of the prayer and really mean it, Forgive us our sins or our trespasses as we forgive. That's good. But it was never designed as a form of penance or something like that. And when you notice the prayer, it really starts out and, and it, it's kind of almost separated into two sections by a couple of pronouns, yours and us. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Then give us this day. And it gives us a model there to notice that whatever we do, we start with God. God should be first in everything, especially our prayers. And if you think about this in the natural, if I start my prayers with my long list, and I go into my prayer closet and I get out my sheet of paper and I need a lot of things today, God. This is longer than my wife's grocery list. And I hope I can find you easier than the stuff on this list. And I start, God, you got to help me out of this mess. Lord, I need this. Lord, this, this. Oh, yeah, this. Oh, gosh, and my, my brother and my mom and my this and my that. And Before you got long, you know what's happened is? What is your focus? All my problems. All my problems. I lose such focus. But if I start with God, hallowed be your name. God, you are holy and you are righteous. You're the most amazing God. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are all-knowing, loving. I could go on and on and on and on, and you should. What is my focus on now? I need you, and you are able in all things, at all times, in all circumstances. My focus is not on me. It's not on my problems. It's on him and my dependency on him. When we pray like that, it brings us to that place God always wants us to be, in humility and dependency. It's not about being needy, though we're needy. 
He wants us to just know that we can trust him, that he, he has full ability and our confidence needs to be fully in him, in him. Kind of watching the clock because there's no way we're going to get done. But when do we pray? When do we pray? You know, when, when Jesus is instructing the disciples and answering their question, teach us how to pray, first thing he says is when you pray. When you pray. Notice there's an assumption. You're going to pray. But you notice also there's no command as to how often and how long. Unless you want to look to 1 Thessalonians, verse, chapter 5, verse 16 through 19, when I talk about prayer as a way of life, a prayer life, this verse is so great. Rejoice always. Rejoicing. When I'm rejoicing, what am I doing? I'm sending up my praise. I'm praying praise. I'm praying rejoicing. We did that this morning in our songs and the music. And then it says, pray without ceasing. And in everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. You want to be in God's will? There it is. Rejoice. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks about everything. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? It's an attitude of prayer. And it's a dependency on him, knowing and, and being reminded continually, I can do nothing in my own strength. So with the littlest things, I've got to drive into town. Lord, watch over me as I travel into town. I've got to make a phone call. God, help me with the phone call and make the right make, make, Help me to say the right things. Let your heart throw, show through the words I'm going to speak. I mean, anything and everything. And again, I stand here confessing before you, I have not got this nailed. But I believe that's the way we're supposed to be. In all things, it's an attitude. It is not about a religious routine. It's not about rote repetition. But there is nothing wrong with scheduled times of prayer. We see it in Scripture. Jesus tended to get up early in the morning and go pray often. And we see other times. So there's nothing wrong with a systematic time of prayer. As a matter of fact, for most of us, we'd benefit greatly from it. But if it becomes a religious attitude, uh-oh, it's 6.30, i got to get out of bed, i got to get in my 10 minutes before I go to work. No, that's not what we're shooting for. When we look at this prayer, time of prayer, the when we pray should truly just be a response to your natural desire to want to have fellowship and communion with God. Now, we have a few people here. I can think of one or two that are engaged and going to get married. Now, hopefully the rest of us think the same as they do, right, that have been married a long time. Oh, man, I can hardly wait. How long before I can call her? I want to talk to her. When do I get to see her next? Remember those days? Colton, say yes. Remember those days? There's such a desire. There's such a hunger. I am so madly in love. I can't get enough. It's like I need it more than breathing. Come on, old fogies like me. Remember? It was like that once. Yeah. (laughs) All right. And it should be like that again. So we'll work at it. I'm that way, aren't I, honey? (laughs) When you ask for an amen and you get a huh, learn not to ask. There's a psalm. 
written by the psalmist, and it's one I think we've all heard. There's a little picture up here, and I don't know if you can read it in this slide or not. But in Psalms 42, the psalmist writes this psalm, and it's kind of a neat psalm. But if you really think about this psalm, what it's saying is the deer pants for the water, the water brooks, the, the cool, crisp, sweet water. As the deer is famished for thirst, it's been running and racing. As the, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my, so my soul pants after you, Lord. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. There is passion. There's passion. And that's the kind of passion that will drive you to prayer, not out of duty, not out of religiosity, but out of that kind of love to commune with God. I know, and, and I can't, I wish I could explain my inadequacies, but I mean, I know in my head when I think about it this way, God has made a way, the guy who spoke everything into being, the guy who sent his son to die on a cross so I could have a relationship with him, the God that knows everything about everything and especially about me, wants me to talk to him and I don't do it. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with us when we don't do that? It's because somehow or other, maybe it's religion from our past. Maybe it's we have allowed the busyness of our lives to control us. Maybe it's just that we've never tasted of the sweetness of a relationship with God like that. You know, I've used a scripture from Psalms where it says, you know, forget not the benefits of your salvation. Yeah, heaven's awesome, but you aren't there yet. How would you like to just sit down with him and spend as much time with him whenever you wanted to? Knowing that everything he tells you, unlike even your best friend, is going to be absolutely true and honest. Everything that he asks you to do will work according to his purposes. How many of us would turn that opportunity down, but we do it almost every day? We could squeeze it in when we're driving to work. We could do this in those spare moments. It's not like we have to sit down and pray for two hours every time we're going to pray. God would, I think, just like us to, like to, us to know that he's there for us. And he calls to us, and Jesus tells us, to start the prayer with the word, Father. I'm going to stop there, but think about that for a minute. Father. This had to really, really throw the Pharisees of the day off track right there. Even the disciples would have, I, mean, I think, in their mind, been a little confused. Even though they, they know Jesus has got this deal going with the Father, God, he prays to him all the time. And we see something comparing his prayer life to our prayer life. And we know there's something there. And the first word should give us a great clue. Father. We are to approach him as his children would approach a father. It's not a God that we go to in fear and trembling that, oh, God, here I am. Don't hit me yet. God, I know you're a stern and a harsh judge, but I'll try to do better got a few things if you don't mind me asking i mean think about it who would who who of our children would we want to come to us like that with fear and trembling being the motivation our heavenly father doesn't want that at all 
He wants to talk to us. He wants to bless us. He wants us to live out the abundant life that Christ has for us. That's his heart's desire. And I believe when Jesus is telling them, when you pray, pray, start like this. Father. And that's where we'll start next week. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you and praise you that because Jesus, your only son, died on a cross, was raised from the dead, you have offered to each one of us here, you have given each one of us the opportunity to become children of God, that we can be your children by accepting the gift of our salvation by faith through grace. Lord, I thank you and praise you that we are children, your children. I pray that that reality settles in. I pray, God, that your spirit would continue to draw us to communion with you through our prayer life. God, that we would crucify our flesh and come to you and spend time with you. Father, we want to bless you with our prayer lives. Lord, and I thank you that we can ask you for things. So, Lord, I pray for each one of us as we go from this place, you'd watch over us this week, you'd keep us safe. God, that you would give us those opportunities to share the good news of the gospel, that we would have those divine appointments. When those appointments arrive, Lord, I pray you would give us the words to speak. And, Lord, that you would allow your love to flow through us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, that that you would be glorified. Amen.